Welcome to the Inner Dominatrix Podcast, the show that gets you stepping into your bold, sexy, fun-filled life. And as always, I have an amazing guest on board with me today. I am so excited. This woman, I think she is kicking ass, taking names, and not taking prisoners. So, But just before we get to that, I want to remind everyone that the Bulletproof Confidence Weekends are coming up, and there's still a tiny bit of space to get your butt into those seats because these weekends are going to be epic, raising your confidence 10 times what it is now and making it last and stick and permeate into every aspect of your life. So get a seat while you still can. There's one in Toronto and one in Virginia Beach. All right. So let me introduce my amazing guest here. So Gita is an amazing woman who I actually have signed up for a course, full disclosure. Uh, She has this amazing stuff around PR. So let me read her bio. I don't usually read people's bios, full disclosure. I usually just get to summarize it, but she's done such a great job of crafting it that you've got to hear this. So she's a media personality and entrepreneur. Gita is obsessed with stories and exponential growth. Her work has been featured on CNN, ABC, CBC, the New York Times, Reader's Digest, Breakfast Television, CTV, and more. She's a regular contributor to Inc., Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, and Global TV. She's spent 25 years in television, radio, and print globally. Let her take you backstage and show you exactly what it takes to grab a busy producer, editor, blogger, or podcaster's attention, make an audience fall in love with you, and then monetize the heck out of all that free press. I love that bio. Welcome, Gita. Thanks so much for having me, Dana. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's so funny. I, I, I pitched you, so to speak, right? But I mean, you know me from the group and of course, and that interaction. But I just, I felt, oh, I'm just going to make this up like a pitch. I'm like, you know, I don't know how well I did on that pitch, but you did uh, great. Here, aren't I? You are. You did. You, are. you did. It, it was successful. Well, totally. No, listen, you're. Definitely kicking butt and taking names. And I love playing with people who are up leveling, constantly looking for ways to improve, hacking their own story. I just love it. I love it. Yeah. And I think that's where you and I have like really clicked from the get go. I remember seeing you on stage and you're, you're up there and you know, you said fuck on stage. I'm like, there's my girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yep. Grew up yeah. in newsrooms. Swear is my first language. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And you're just, you're so real. I mean, it's, it's beyond, you know, you're not just saying fuck for the sake of, of a saying a swear word to catch attention, but it's who you are and you authentically show up. And that's, that's a big part of my criteria of who I want to bring on this show. So I appreciate that. You're Thank living you. that. You are. Absolutely. So I want you to tell the audience a little bit about, you know, how you transition from this media world into what you're doing with the baby got booked and you know, how did that transition happen? Sure. So I've been a journalist, a paid journalist since I was 12 years old. And the backstory to that, you know, it makes me sound like I'm super duper smart and I'm some kind of prodigy and I'm really not. I'll tell you exactly why I ended up being uh, sort of advanced compared to most kids. It's because 
I grew up in Mumbai to, with Indian parents. And what basically happened is that I went to English, you know, British English school, private school, and they had an English language paper. It's a hundred marks and it's all about essay writing and English grammar and comprehension. And essay writing was my arch nemesis. I freaking hated essays. And so when I was 10, I had the misfortune of bringing home a rather dismal report card and then walking into my dad's study and then being like, here's my report card. And he was horrified that anyone carrying his (laughs) DNA. Indian parents are exactly that dramatic. It's like, it's just like a Bollywood film. He was really traumatized that anybody carrying his DNA would almost flunk essay writing, especially since (laughs) he was a journalist and winning awards for his English and all of that jazz. So he and my mom basically got together and came up with this program where my two younger sisters and I had to sit down and write in each of us got our own scrapbook and we had to write three essays a week or we couldn't go out to play. So imagine all summer long, summer vacation, everybody's out there, nobody's doing any work, everybody's watching TV, we're sitting and writing essays and To be fair, they made it really interesting. So we would get magazines and newspapers and we would cut images out and then create fictitious characters based on the the photos that we stuck in our scrapbook. Or we'd write book reviews of our favorite bedtime stories or reports on family outings. And my dad would sit at the end of each week and sit in an age-appropriate way and be like, you know, this body copy is a little bit sloppy. Here's where you could have inserted a metaphor. Uh, You know, here's how you write a really tight headline. And he would just give me all these tips and all this. There was all these suggestions for improvement. And I got really seduced by the whole process. He basically pushed me through that membrane of resistance. And at age 10, helped me fall in love with the thing that I was meant to do in this world, which is such a gift. I mean, that is the best gift any parent can give to their children. So Mm. I feel very, very grateful that my parents just refused to let me get away with (laughs) anything and and introduced me to writing. So fast forward, I've worked in Singapore and then I, you know, freelanced in Britain and then moved to Canada and was, fell into television, which is a whole other story that I won't get into now. And about almost three years ago to the day, uh, I had a baby. I had my son. Uh, Sorry, five years ago to the day, I I had my son. And then three years ago, I was like coming off of maternity leave. So I'd been on maternity leave for two years. I'd been unemployed. And I decided that I just didn't want to go back to a nine to five. I just didn't. I was like, I'm not going to have somebody else raise my kid. And again, no judgment if this is a choice that you've made and you're comfortable with it, that's more power to you. It just didn't feel like the right choice for me. And I, we had been living on one income where we literally, we don't have a card, got our cable, downsized everything that we could possibly think of to downsize. And we were barely making ends meet because literally I would put, I would take my coffee in a thermos when I went out because I didn't have money to go to Starbucks and I was okay with it up to a point. And then I came to this point where I realized that my nature is expansive. I'm a big, loud, infectious person. (laughs) You are. (laughs) And I just got real. I, I was like, you know what? I'm spending so much energy and so much care and time and attention reducing my footprint. And from an mm. ecological standpoint, that's awesome. But yeah. from every other standpoint, it really sucked. Mm. 
And so I was like, you know what? I'm done playing small. And that moment was seared into my cells because when we signed Mika, our son up for daycare, this was a huge shift for him. So he had to basically now be separated from mama. He had, we had literally never spent a day apart ever. And now he had to spend time away from me. And I had to make sure that this was worth it. And I remember one day his eyes were, he was crying and I knelt down and he was like, why does Dada have to go to work? Why do you have to go to work? And I was like, well, Dada has to go to work to make the money to pay for your books and our toys and our house and so on. And then I was like, and I'm going to go to work because I'm going to build something amazing where we're never going to struggle for money again. And we're going to help people and we're going to change the world. And I was like, oh my God, I had not thought this through. It just came out of my mouth. And I realized what definition of work do I want my child going through life with? The, the one about sacrifice where you basically spend your life doing things that you don't necessarily want to do that takes you away from your family and away from the things that you love to make money or the purpose piece, the one where you're excited and you're abundant and you're helping people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, like I can talk about this until I'm blue in the face and he's not going to believe a word if I don't model it. And I realized that I had to make it real. I love it. I love it. it, it it's, it's that piece of you walking your talk. You know, there's so many people that will, will say all kinds of things. And then what's really going on in their own life is a totally different story. Mm-hmm. Right? But you're not doing that. You're actually living it. And I love that about you. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah. I think a gift that I've been given is, is that power of story, right? I've been a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it for money since I was 12, but I've been doing stories since I was three. I used to dance. I used to do theater. I've done, I've told stories in just about every form that you can think of. <laughs> <laughs> I was a kid who never shut up. Surprise, I know. Um, and so <laughs> I never would have guessed. <laughs> I know, right? I'm so shy and stuff. Um, and so I think that At some point along the way, I realized how much really everything is story. And if you're you're living, and I've become very, very interested in this concept that we broadcast, we broadcast constantly. And if you're conscious and in control of your story, then you end up broadcasting a reality and your perception, your perceptual reality then mirrors what you think. You are what you think. You see what you think. You live what you think. And so if you're unconscious about your story, if you're not in control of your story, then you end up manifesting realities that suck. You know, you feel stuck or you'll have no money or you'll have terrible relationships or whatever that looks like, whatever the fear is underneath your story. And so I've gotten really, really interested and obsessed with editing your life by editing your story and, you know, really getting into that inner game. A lot of people focus on their outward, on the, frankly, a lot of the things that they can't control, like other people's behaviors, like sales Mm -hmm. numbers, like uh, maybe even the house that they live in. You know, they're like, I want a bigger house. I'm like, I may or may not be able to control that today. But what I can control is how I feel about the house that I live in today. And if I want more space, I can start cleaning it out. I can start clearing it out. I can create more light. I can, there's a lot of things that I can do if I decide the story that I'm living today is that I live in a big, bright house. Mm. Same house, different story, different reality. 
Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it's it's so in line with where I come from, too. It's, a, it's an mm-hmm. inner, change the inner game, and then that changes what shows up on the outside. I have a great story that completely confirms this. And of course you do. Oh. <laughs> I <laughs> love it. it. Seriously. So my mom, my mom and I have not been super close for the last maybe 15 years. Um, she's never actually met either of my children. Mm-hmm. We live in different countries, to be fair. I live in Canada. She lives in Mumbai. But my dad lives in Mumbai, too, and he's met my kids every year. Um, but my mom and I were never super close growing up because she's long story, and we don't have time for therapy today. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, she she was the, she's an amazing human being. She was one of the first – she was the first generation of women in India who was educated to the level that she was. She was a senior oncologist, which meant she had to be, you know, five times the doctor, 10 times the wife, and 50 times the mother to be able to con- be considered half as good as her male colleagues. Mm. The, the pressure was tremendous, in, intense. I can't even fathom it. I'm so lucky that I'm so free to be able to be me and mm-hmm. not have to explain anything. But what that created was this kind of martyr mentality with her. And she used to say things like, you know, I sacrificed my career for you kids. And it took, and I always felt guilty about that until at 16 or something, I was like, hey, wait, you chose to have me and you chose. I didn't have any say over whether you worked at a private clinic or a hospital. Like that was all you. That's not yeah. my fault. But it took me till I was 16 to figure that out. Anyway, so we had a lot of tension. I'm a straight shooter. I tell it like it is. I am better at diplomacy than I used to be. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And so my mom and I used to drive each other bananas. And that's okay. And so for the longest time, there was that. The reason I'm telling you this story is because about 15 years ago, my mother had a crisis. It was it was a physical crisis, it was an emotional crisis, and it was a spiritual crisis. Mm. And what basically happened is she was doing her ward rounds, caring for her cancer patients, as she always did. And all of a sudden, she had the searing pain in her perineum, so right between her legs, and she couldn't make the scissoring motion of walking. All of a sudden, she was just frozen and in severe pain for no reason that anybody could think of. And here she is in one of the best hospitals in the country with access to the best specialists who are all her buddies and the best equipment that she could use for free and so on and so forth. She gets all these tests done and nobody can tell her what is wrong with her body or why. And this is a person who used to swim six days a week. She was a very active, she's total type A achiever. So here she is bedridden flabbergasted, no idea what's going on. And I think the biggest, the biggest slap in the face was that life went on for the rest of us. We managed. And so in a way, it was like all her motto stories, all of the things that she sacrificed mm. in order to do all these things for us. We were like, <laughs> oh, guess what? We didn't need that. We're, we're cool. You could just lie in bed and we'll be okay. And it was like, <laughs> I can't even imagine what a what an horrible shock that must have been. I don't know that anybody handled it as well as we could have on all sides. Mm. But what happened out of that crisis is that she finally just gave herself permission to tell everybody to go fuck off. Um, 
you know, and it came in stages. She went, she basically lost her, I told you it was a spiritual crisis because she lost her religion. Science was her religion up until that point. And now all of a sudden she had to just walk away from science because science couldn't help her. Science could not explain what had happened. Science could not fix what had happened. Um, She went through a series of faith healers and all kinds of scuzzy guru type people. Uh, Oh boy, there's a bunch of them. Let me tell you. I got some stories. (laughs) Crystal healing. It takes all kinds. Oh yeah. And we had a parade of them through our lives at that point. Um, At some point she ended up really sort of um, buying into this whole idea of manifesting and how your thoughts control your reality. And so she would say things like, you know, if I'd be like, mom, my head hurts, I need some Advil. She'd be like, just tell yourself you're healthy and your head doesn't hurt. And I'm like, (laughs) what? (laughs) You know, I was 15 years old. I was pissed. And so we were at loggerheads and she would constantly give me these books about, again, your inner game and manifesting and mental toughness and all of these other things. And I categorically rejected them. So I was just not able to hear it. I couldn't hear it from her. I didn't want to hear it. I had a huge amount of resistance to it. A little bit of a theme in my life, yes. Um, I just walked away. And so I left. I lived in Singapore. I moved to Canada. We kind of, you know, we see each other. We talk on the phone every so often, but we, we don't have a hugely close relationship. We don't have any animosity at all, but no, no closeness. Now, as an entrepreneur over the last three years, I have grown into my purpose. I've, I only met my purpose, Dana, I tell you, two and a half weeks ago, three, three weeks ago, tops. And it's really interesting to me because for the longest time in my life, I have always congratulated myself and felt pretty smug about the fact that I know what I was born to do. And in my mind, the answer to that was, I was born to tell stories. I was born to heal people through the power of stories. Mm-hmm. But I didn't understand what purpose meant. Not really. When I heard Richard Branson or Oprah or Sarah Blakely or any of the people that I really look up to, when they talk about purpose, there's always this philanthropic aspect to it. That's always about. It seems to always be about other people. Mm-hmm. And I'll be very frank with you. And if anybody listening here is in the same boat, just know that you're not alone and you're not weird and there's nothing wrong with you. Because when I launched Baby Got Booked, I wanted to help people, but most of all, I wanted to help me. I wanted to have money. I didn't want to be poor. I wanted to do something I loved and I wanted to get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. Like that was most of it. That was like 90% of it. The helping people part was like, yeah, I get to help people because what I do helps people. But that was not the front and center piece for me, if I'm dead honest. I know it's supposed to be, but it really wasn't. I was fucking hungry and all I could think about was food. Yeah. And it's generally not front and center. Like that is where most people start. It's about the money. Yes, exactly. Yes. And I think it's really important to be honest and it's Mm -hmm. important to not feel guilty about it because the only way, I mean, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs now, you know, you can Google this and you'll see an actual pyramid, you know, at the very bottom is, Uh, food and water and then there's safety and then there's, you know, your house and your shelter and things like that. And then as you go up the scale, there's work and, and, you know, a fulfillment, financial security and things like that. It's all the very top, the real, the peak of the mountain, the itty bitty part of the top is self-actualization. That is about purpose. And you can't, some people are, so let me say this. There are people out there who can be at the very bottom of the mountain 
who can be struggling for food and shelter and water and still have one foot at the top. There's a part of them that is always connected to the givingness, to the connection, to the cycle of energy and, and they understand that they're part of something bigger and, and if, if they have, you know, one piece of bread, they'll give half to somebody else, even mm-hmm. though they're hungry. There are people like that and I'm so admiring of them. I was not one of those people. I was very practical. I'm very like, okay, I can, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got my, uh, my bread is for my immediate family, my friends maybe, but I, I can't think of anything bigger than that. I was not able to imagine. It was a lack of imagination. That's what it was. And the only way that I can think of, if you don't already have your foot on the top of that mountain, one foot up and one foot down, it's a very uncomfortable place to be, by the way. I got, you know, so again, very admiring of the people who are able to pull it off. Um, it is okay to have both your feet wherever they happen to be. It is yeah. okay. Yeah. It is okay as long as you constantly make sure to keep looking up and keep moving up. And if you slip and you fall and you slide down the side of that mountain, which happens along the way to pretty much everybody, um, just pick yourself up, dust yourself off, put your crampons back on and get going. And that is what I have done. And it's really interesting because the more I focus, it's funny because I've been so so focused and a lot of us entrepreneurs are focused on the outer game, the strategies, the tactics, the marketing, the web copy, the all of this. And it's important. Don't get me wrong. There's a place and time for it. But again, if it comes, if you rewind to that, that idea that your reality is literally what you project, it's like you're a projector and what you think is the movie is, is, is what writes the movie that's playing for you. And the more I get into that, the more I'm like, my, my success, my fulfillment, my purpose is accelerated by the work that I do on me that is mm-hmm. independent of what's going on. It's independent of my revenue numbers. It's independent of my deadlines. It's independent <laughs> of my client requests. It's independent of all of that. It is the work that I do. When I do a process that I call visualizing, which is visualizing, creative visualizing, but using your entire body. Mm. So it has to be really, it's like you don't just see yourself somewhere. You're, you, and you don't just feel it with your senses. Like it's not just about touch or you feel the texture of the carpet. I've seen a, a lot of people talk about that. It's like, you know, you're wearing a red dress. You see yourself on stage, you're wearing a red <laughs> dress. For me, it's more than all of those pieces. It's about how do I feel? Can I feel the the joy and the connection to 10,000 people in the room if I'm up on stage. I don't actually give a rat's ass what I'm wearing yeah. or if I'm wearing anything at all. I want to know how I feel. I want to know if I can take an idea out of my mind and plant it in 10,000 other people's minds. There is no high higher than that, at least for me. And so this process that I've kind of have been doing sort of on and off throughout my life that I'm now doing very, very on purpose. I feel like what it has done for me is it helps me refill my tank, the tank from which willpower and life and circumstance drinks. It helps me refill that tank with joy. It helps me refill that tank with love and all of the, the happy, soft, receiving emotions. 
Because too much about entrepreneurship is about hustle and like <laughs> raw. And I feel like that's the exhale part. And you need both the inhale and the exhale. And nobody talks about the freaking inhale. <laughs> Except me. Except you. It's you. Yeah. I don't call it that, but it's, it is, yeah. it's so important that we do our inner work in order to have that drive and that motivation to, to have the external. Because it's, you know, you burn out. I see so many people, they, they get a level of success but it's from pushing mm-hmm. and they just push, 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 push. And then they burn out. But so true. Yeah. With the stuff that you're doing, you know, where you're working on your internal game, you're providing something that's sustainable yes. for the long haul. Yes. I love it. I love it. And, yeah. and, and the thing that's really fascinating about it is, is that it's got a real element of magic to it. And what I mean by that is, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but there are times when I will visualize something or I will visualize myself and I'm just really freaking happy for whatever reason. One of the, I've written, one of the things I've done is I've written out a vision of my life. So it's like a vision of where I want to be, but it's written all in the present tense. Like I am, I do, Mm -hmm. I live, I love, whatever, all of those. And one of the lines in there is the kids make me laugh every day. Mm. And every morning and every night, I spend five minutes in this life, this life that I am living in the future somewhere, in a parallel universe, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I live this abundant, juicy, awesome, fun life that I can feel in my body. And so then when I get into my day and, you know, my toddler trips me or, or my five-year-old is like, mama, 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 whatever. It's, I, I'm able to say, okay, my kids make me laugh every day. So let's turn this into that. I become the thermostat instead of the thermometer. Mm. And I wish I'd come up with that, but that's my friend, Alan Stein. <laughs> it's so genius, right? It it's is so elegant. Genius. I love it. So yeah. And kids are, kids are great broadcasters. That's half oh. the reason why we always lose our shit when we're around them and they're losing their shit. <laughs> it's so fucking infectious because they broadcast like nobody's business. And I'm not talking volume. I'm definitely not talking words. I'm no. talking intention. She who broadcasts the loudest always gets what she wants capital A always. You could be in a room full of full of terrorists who want you dead. And if you can broadcast louder than them, you will walk out of that room guaranteed. Yeah. Dynamic how that happens. I mean, that's yes. the that's the energy component that I talk so yes. much about, right? It's, yes. It's that. It's brilliant. What you do is so, so important. It's more important than anything else because there are people who, there are times when I have walked off stage or I have been doing something. I've been at somebody else's workshop. Like literally I'm in the audience at somebody else's workshop and I've had people come up to me and be like, I don't even know what you sell, but I want it. (laughs) Like that is not tactics. That doesn't come from strategy. That does not come from tactics. That comes from you being fully you. Yes. And you can't do that unless you clear out 
the fear of the, or you feel the fear fully and release it. Yeah. So, so that was the other, that's a big epiphany that I've had lately is sometimes I'm also like, I am not going to be afraid. And then I stand there and I'm like, not afraid. And it's kind of like, I feel like a little child, like standing on top of their bed being like, there is no boogeyman under my bed. And I'm fucking terrified that there's a boogeyman under my bed. And I'm like, will not look at the boogeyman. And meanwhile, of course, in my imagination, the boogeyman is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And so <laughs> it, it took me a long time to muster up the courage to say, all right, boogeyman, come on out. Yeah. Let's sit and have some tea and, you know, you can scare, you have my permission to scare the crap out of me. Do it. Let's do this. Like, <laughs> do I your just, worst. Like, I'm, I, well, this is it. Cause I'm like, anything that you can do to me is probably less scary than what I'm doing to myself right now. Oh, definitely. We're, we're far worse, you know, yeah. what we imagine is far worse than what will actually happen. Totally. So what I've decided to what like something I learned from a book that I highly recommend. So if you guys haven't read this already, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, The Mm. Big Leap. Fantastic book. One of the best books I read in I think it was 2016 is when I discovered it. It's an older book. And he talks about he talks about increasing your capacity for joy. He says the final human frontier is that we all have a ceiling for success, a ceiling for how much unfettered, uninterrupted joy we can tolerate. Mm. And once I read that, I started to notice that I was doing it in my life. So if you've ever felt that you self-sabotage ever, and half the time you won't even realize that it's you because you think everybody around you is an asshole, but really it's you. <laughs> no, just me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Definitely okay. just you. <laughs> just, just me. Okay. <laughs> no, but seriously, I remember we once, we had this amazing, we closed this huge deal and we went out to celebrate at this beautiful, I mean, absolutely stunning Thai restaurant that we'd never been to before. And I, I love Thai food. Mm. And I was with my husband, I was with Pat, and I was with Mika, our son. And I started to really just get into Pat. Like I just really was super pissed off. And he had said something earlier, which maybe justified some kind of reaction, but not really. And it was gone and it was earlier and it was resolved. And I just couldn't let it go. I could not let it go. And it's only using this filter of, okay, I hit my upper limit. I basically, we exceeded, literally, we exceeded our expectations on the deal that we closed. Mm. We were elated. And I was like, I can't take it. I must bring myself down. So you don't always sabotage the thing that just went well. You sometimes sabotage in other areas just to bring your overall happiness down. And one of the things that Gay talks about is how, you know, when you're in that place of, you know, I feel this bubbling emotion, what the heck? Um, Instead of denying it, which is what my default method was, I now kind of, he, he teaches you how to sort of scan your body And you just kind of close your eyes and you breathe and you're like, okay, where are you tight? Now, for me, it's almost always my diaphragm. And I'm like, all right. So then I actively release it. So you change your physical state. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my favorite ways to do it is to get up and walk around. And if I've been walking a a long time, because I walk every single day, I do all my phone calls walking. Mm. So I call them walk and talks. And so movement is very much a part of my day. I think best when my blood is moving. Mm -hmm. We keep our yoga mat out. Uh, you know, we keep a pull-up. Well, not right now, but usually we have a pull-up bar in the doorway. 
So it's like, it's like fitness mistletoe. When you walk through the door, you have to pull up, but you have to at least hang. <laughs> and it's, it's all cumulative. Everything is about consistency and yeah. accumulation. So, so it, you know, you can compound everything. If you choose your habits wisely, they all add up to where you want to go or not, or they're either taking you towards your goal or away. So I'm trying to be mindful about taking myself towards my goals. And so I breathe into where I have the tension and release it. And then I, you know, if I've been sitting too long, I walk. If I've been walking too long, I lie down or I lie on, you know, just lie, sit on, sit down and just give myself permission to be. Uh. This is so new for me. <laughs> well, really for, for the type A personality, the the permission to just be is probably the toughest lesson to learn. To it's so funny. I don't think of it. myself as type A. I know everybody <laughs> else does, but I really don't think of myself because I'm not hyper competitive. I'm driven, but I don't compete with other people. It's the driven component that, oh, that maybe, that, that maybe I, that's what it is. Yeah, Fair that's enough. what I see as type A. There's there's type A's that are competitive and type A's that are just driven. Yeah. But, well, that's, that's fair then. I guess yeah. I'm type A, but <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, my excuse also in my story is I have little children and it's true. The second your butt hits the seat, the second <laughs> somebody needs you and it's an emergency. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. And we have two cats and a dog on top of everything. It's a zoo around here. So it somebody is. is always, pet me, feed me, pet me, feed me, touch me. I'm touching you. I'm standing on your head. Like, why? Um, so, so giving myself permission and just carving out time with deadlines, with team meetings, with client calls, with all of this jazz, I now put actual an appointment with myself every single day I where I it. will just sit there in my red chair, my favorite red armchair, and I will read a book if I feel like reading a book, you know, watch a YouTube video, meditate, visualize, whatever the hell I want. And no one's allowed to bo- bug me. I'll actually lock the cats on the balcony. <laughs> Seriously. I love Don't mess it. with mama. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh my God. Okay. I know we could talk for hours, but we do need to wrap it up, unfortunately. I get um, so let's, let's do a little shout out for your, your Baby Got Booked, which is, of course, an online program for those that want to get more PR and yeah. you know, do it themselves. Well, well I, so again, we've talked a lot about story and I've talked about story in, in a completely different context throughout this interview, but... I truly believe that if you want to live a better story or tell a better story, everything is story. So if you're not getting the results that you want, your story needs an edit. So Baby Got Booked is my way of helping business owners edit their stories, get really conscious about what their what the true seeds of exponential growth are in their business, specific and custom to your business. We have questionnaires that really walk you through this process that you can print out and and use with your clients to discover where the hidden gaps lie all the way through. How do you position yourself? How do you position your expertise? How do you come across as credible? How do you get the media to fall in love with you? Because if you can get a producer to fall in love with you, then you can get her audience of millions to fall in love with you too. And that's Mm -hmm. when the growth really takes off. So if you'd like to sort of try before you buy and see if I have the goods and if my teaching style resonates with you, we have a five-day challenge. It's 100% free. And I basically, it's if you can put aside 30 minutes a day to sit down and watch the video and do the assignment that goes with it, we have all kinds of resources that you can print out and use. 
People are getting booked. Literally, let's say if you can put aside five days by this time next week, you can have a media interview lined up. It really does work. We have all kinds of, another line in my personal vision is our clients send me unsolicited testimonials on a regular basis. We've been getting at least one a day, if not more. Wow. So knock on, and they're unsolicited, so I can't ask for them. That's the deal. So if they don't, you know, if I'm not doing a good job, I don't get them. So yeah, this stuff really does work. And the the people who really win from all of this are the audience. Because if you give a producer or a journalist or a podcaster exactly what they want, they get excited about you. They want to put you out there. And then the audience gets to have your brilliance or your product or your service. And they get to fall in love with you. And that's what I want. I want more of those connections in the world. Mm, that is so fantastic. And and I will attest to that, you know, you've got great content in there. And for people to check it out, that five-day challenge, uh, what a great idea. I have to say, I, I read about that. You, you gave me the little blurb. I'm like, oh, that sounds really juicy. And then I'm like, I'm still, I'm in the course. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You have the, you have the whole have the nine. Whole <laughs> that's right. It's, it's a great refresher, actually. It's a great refresher. So I should give you the link probably so that you can actually check it out. Everyone's like, what the heck? Just yes, get and to so it, that We woman. can put that in the show notes too. Yeah. So it's babygodbooked.com forward slash challenge. Super simple. Babygodbooked.com forward slash challenge. Awesome. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show with me. Really appreciate your time. And the stories have been fantastic. Thanks, Dana. Thanks for tuning in to The Inner Dominatrix, the show that lets you step into your bold, sexy, fun-filled life. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to tell your friends about it. And if you're ready to own your inner dominatrix, then hop over to my website, innerdominatrix.com, and let's have a conversation to get you rocking your bold, sexy, fun-filled life.